0: All right, well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Centerpoint Church, Kent Island. If you are a visitor, or this is your first time here, uh, in your programs, you should have had a connection card. If you don't have one in your programs, right outside those doors is a connection card. Please feel free to fill out that connection card and give us as much information about yourself as you would like, um, and just share with us. If you have any prayer requests, we'll be glad to uh, take those prayer requests with our leaders, and we'll pray over them uh, for whatever you're asking for, and that God would work and move in a tremendous way. Um, Again, we want to thank you for coming. If you are new here or, um, again, you've just been hanging out with us for the last couple weeks, we've been doing a series entitled Nehemiah Forward. Um, What this series is about is a man by the name of Nehemiah who has felt God really speaking and pushing and leaning on him to go do something great for his foreign land. And so he decides to go back over to Jerusalem and begin to build and put up the infrastructure of his wall to protect his community that was once um, devastated and destroyed. And so Nehemiah is going back to Jerusalem. He's building and establishing this wall. He's stacking the wall. He's building the wall so they can start having the infrastructure that it needs to protect itself and to move forward to establish it. We've talked for the last couple weeks about what it looks like to move forward um, in prayer, moving forward uh, through challenges, uh, taking those first steps, taking those moves, dealing with uh, situations and difficulty, understanding that all of those things are going to take place, but a lot of those things are used to push us forward. A lot of those things are used in some kind of form or fashion to help us move forward, but the key is that we constantly have to keep moving what? Forward. And so as we continue in this series, um, I'm so glad that you're here, and I want to invite you to hang in there with us. Um, If you have not heard any of these uh, messages yet of the series, we have it on our website, and you can definitely go and check out and catch up with us on where we are in this series. I'm going to ask that you guys would turn to the book of Nehemiah, if you have your Bible or your app. Turn to the book of uh, Nehemiah, the sixth chapter. While you're looking for that app, we're getting ready for that. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll move right into that scripture. Um, Dear God, I pray that you would open up our hearts and our ears to receive your word. I pray, Father, that you would open up our minds to, uh, with clarity, recognize who you are in your voice. Plant in us your Holy Spirit right now. Guide us and lead us in all truth and in righteousness. Allow us to submit and humble ourselves in your presence. Father, we thank you and bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Here we ask everyone to um, stand as we read God's word and honoring it. So Nehemiah chapter 6, whether you have it or not, it'll be on the screen as well. So Nehemiah chapter 6,
1: verses 1 through 4. And the rest of our enemies found out that I had finished rebuilding the wall and that no gaps remained, though we had not yet set up the doors in the gates, So Zembalah and Geshem sent a message asking me to meet them in one of the village in the plain of Ono. But I realized they were plotting to harm me, so I replied by sending this message to them. I am engaged in great work, so I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? Four times they sent the same message, and each time I gave the same reply. Amen. You guys can be seated. There's a man um, who passed
0: away about three years ago. His name is David Jacobs. Now, you guys may not be familiar with David Jacobs, but David Jacobs is a legendary uh, boxing trainer. Um, He trained people such as Sugar Ray Leonard. Um, He trained uh, Mike Tyson. He trained Evander Holyfield. He trained David Tua. He trained some of the up-and-coming great boxers of our time. Um, David Jacobs played the piano at my old childhood church, and so when he wasn't out in uh, uh, Las Vegas training and, and having these fights, he'd be at church playing the piano. And so uh, it's right in PG County down in uh, Landover, Maryland, which is a really crazy place for this guy who makes millions of dollars to live, but he wanted to give back to his community, and that's what he did. Um, there was a kid all the way in Gary, Indiana, by the name of Corey Allen. Corey Allen was an up-and-coming um, brother, uh, uh what do you call it, uh, uh, a boxer, and so David Jacobs says, I recognize that you have a lot of talent. I recognize that you can be an amazing boxer. I want you to come um, live with me and let me train you. And so he grabs Corey after he comes out of uh, his 11th grade year, going into a senior year, and transfers him over to Roosevelt, Roosevelt High School in Greenbelt. Um, he begins to work with Corey as a trainer. He starts bringing Corey to church because he says, listen, if you're going to hang out with me and live with me, you've got to come to church as well. And Corey says, fine. Corey Allen gets to the church, and Corey Allen meets Brian Wade the well-built, amazing, handsome Corey Allen, Corey Allen, the well-built, handsome, amazing Corey Allen, and the built Brian Wade. <laughs> I going say well-built, but built. You got the football player and the boxer. And instantly, we hang out, we hook up, we become like brothers, we are best friends, we get in a whole lot of trouble on Saturday nights, and then come to church and pray it off on Sunday. You know how that works as high schoolers, you're a senior, you're wild and crazy, we both had good hair. I had lots of great hair back then, uh, amazing, immaculate, beautiful waves of golden locks. It was beautiful. I miss my hair so much. Um, But I had it. I had it. I looked good when I had it. And so we were doing all this stuff and hanging out. And one day, um, we did some wild stuff on a Saturday, and we got home, and I felt like kind of bad about the wild stuff that I did. You ever had one of those moments where you're like, I've done a whole lot of stuff and probably a little bit more than I normally do when I'm doing wild stuff? And the next day, we went to church, and Corey was doing that wild stuff with me on Saturday, and we get to church on Sunday, and I can probably count on my hands how many times I've experienced like these moves of God, these major amazing moves of God. And in this particular situation on Sunday— there was something that happened in the service, and, and God was just there, and it was a life-changing, altering moment for me. And I knew that Corey was touched by that moment as well. Um, later on in the church in the basement, I said, "Listen, man, we got to get focused. We got to get serious about God. We got to start like going really hard for God. We got to change our lives and just be really serious." Well, the next day, um, our pastor was planning on speaking at a church um, down the street, and he was getting ready to do a church anniversary, and so he's planning on going there. And I get a call from my girlfriend, and she calls me and tells me that we go to two different schools, and one of my best friends tells me that you've been trying to talk to her for the last couple of weeks. We need to handle this situation right now. You got to understand how upset I am, because it's true. And it's true, and I'm upset. Because me and this girl had been talking for like three weeks. Why would you tell my girlfriend that I'm talking? Like, she just, so frustrated with the situation. And I told my girlfriend at that time, I said, I can't meet with you. I can't talk with you. I got to go to church today. Um, We'll talk later. If you want to break up, we'll break up. I'm sorry. I probably shouldn't have did it. But listen, I got to go to church. We'll figure it out later. And I left, and I went to that church service. You guys with me so far? Corey was supposed to come to that church service, and he didn't. And I called Corey that night and I said, hey, man, where have you been? What happened? Why didn't you come to church? He said, you won't believe what happened. I have a long, long, long distance relative cousin that lives in Baltimore, and he finally found out that I was in Landover, Maryland, and he came to my community, and he knocked on 57 houses till he got to my house. And he found me. And he said, cousin, I've been looking for you. I'm glad we finally met. And he said, this weekend, let's go hang out. And I said, Corey, we got church on Friday. And Corey said, I'm going to go hang out with my cousin this go around. And Corey hung out with his cousin. And from that moment on, there was this destructive path that Corey started to go down. He left David Jacobs when he graduated high school and he went to the Marine Corps. And he said, I don't want to do this boxing thing with you. I heard I can get it done faster if I go to the Marine Corps and box through the Marines and box through the military services. And David Jacobs was highly upset, but he still hooked Corey up and got him involved in boxing. And all Corey had to do was serve two months, and then he could start training in the Marine Corps with the boxing team. You guys with me so far? And in the, in the, in the first five weeks of being with that uh, military regiment, that group where he had to do was two months before he go into boxing, he got in trouble and got dishonorably discharged. And from that moment, he felt like he had disgraced and hurt David Jacobs so much that David Jacobs would never take him back in his house. And so he went back to Gary, Indiana, which is one of the highest crime-ridden places in Indiana. And he got married. Became a correctional officer. Then he got divorced. Then he turned to a life of all kinds of activities. There was a path and a moment where David Jacobs was, uh, was with Corey Allen, and Corey Allen and I were walking down the same path in that same road, and this situation popped up. A distraction came up on Monday. A girlfriend, we need to talk, what's going on? And a cousin that knocked on 57 doors to find him, and it was a choice. We got to go to church or we don't. And I decided to go this way, and Corey decided to go that way. And because of those choices and that direction and that path and that action, it led him down a road he had no business going down. And it changed his life, in phenomenal ways. All of the future, all of the promise, all of the potential to be trained by one of the greatest trainers of all time, lost in that decision and in that moment. In order to move forward in life, you and I are going to have to recognize that there are not only going to be problems, not only there are going to be issues, but there are going to be distractions. And the question is, are you going to allow the distraction to take you off of the course that God has for you? I want us to check out this passage of Scripture. We have Nehemiah in this book who is building the wall for God successfully. He is stacking it. He's making huge things with this wall. And all of a sudden, these four guys, these four enemies, these haters, if you would, come up to him and they say, listen, we're very upset that this thing is happening. We recognize what's going on. You're doing something great. And they start sending this guy down to give these accusations. They say, you're trying to build this wall for this reason, build this wall for that reason. And I want to share with you four points what you need to do when distractions, and when haters pop up in your life. Are you guys ready? Are we familiar with what haters are? In case you're not, so I'm using a little street vernacular. If you're not familiar with a hater, it is somebody that is not on your team. They are not for you. They are constantly and consistently hating against your thoughts, your plans, your purpose, your desire. They don't even like the way you breathe. They just hate on everything. And in life, you and I are going to encounter some haters. I want to share with you the first point today. This first point has had a couple scriptures to it, so just hang in there with me. The first point is um, when you have haters and you have these things in your way that are trying to distract you from your purpose and your plan, you have to understand that this is nothing more than an intimidation tactic. Point number one, intimidation tactic. Nehemiah 6, 5 through 9 reads like
1: this. The fifth time Sambalat's servant came with an open letter in his hand, and this is what it said. There is a rumor among the surrounding nations. And Geshem tells me it is true, that you and the Jews are planning to rebel, and that is why you are building the wall. According to his reports, you plan to be their king. He also reports that you have have appointed prophets in Jerusalem to proclaim about you, look, there is is a king in Judah. You can be very sure that this report will get back to the king, so I suggest that you come and talk talk it over with me. I replied, There is no truth in any part of your story. You are making up the whole thing. They were just trying to intimidate us, imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work. So I continued the work with even greater determination.
0: So here's what happens. There's a lot of stuff going on. Here's what happens Nehemiah asked permission from the king at that time to go back to Jerusalem to build the wall these four enemies, these four haters that are around this area recognizing what Nehemiah is doing. They tell him, listen, we're trying to distract you, basically. Come up here. Let's talk. He recognizes if he goes to talk to these four kings, they'll probably kill him. And so he says, no, I'm not going. I'm going to build this wall. Four times they send this message, so now they send this letter, and this letter states that, listen, if you do not come up here and meet with us, we're going to tell the king that lets you come down here that you are literally trying to become the king of, of Jews, uh, Jerusalem, that you're trying to take over, that you're calling yourself the big shot, that you're building this wall to start your own kingdom. Everything you're doing is is this deceitful plan and purpose. And so most of us that hear this would probably get a little nervous because I didn't come down here to do all of those things. That's not my purpose. That's not my intent. But this guy and these four guys who are going to bear witness are going to all sign off on this document that I am trying to do my own thing. You can understand the pressure that could bring to somebody, the frustration that could bring. And what Nehemiah does, instead of going ahead and dressing the situation, instead of meeting these four guys, instead of sending a representative, go back and forth and talk things out, he says, no, it's not true. And he says, I'm going to work with even more determination. He says, I'm not going to let you take me off of the plan that God has for me. I'm not going to let you distract me. I'm not going to lose my focus. You can intimidate me all you want. I'm not going to fall for it. Sin's job is to emotionally and spiritually intimidate you and cower you so that you can fall into the plans that it has versus the God's plans that he has for you. Sin's plans are to intimidate you from fearing spiritually strong enough to move forward. Its job is to scare you out of your plans, scare you out of your focus, humble you to a point where you feel crippled that you cannot move forward. Its whole purpose is to weaken you from the plans that God has for you. Is what sin's plans are. These intimidation tactics... In fact, the you and I that live within us, sometimes we have our own emotional intimidation tactics. We have these things that pop up in our heads that says you're not strong enough, you're not smart enough, you're not able, you're not capable, you're not intelligent enough. And its whole purpose, these little thoughts that pop up are to intimidate us that we don't move forward in the things that God has for us. You want to start a new business, you don't have the knowledge to do it. You want to move forward in school. I don't know where and who I should ask to get the information on how to be more successful in my class. I don't know intimidation. They're nothing more than intimidation tactics to move you from being successful as the way God desires for you to be. And Nehemiah looks at this intimidation tactic, and he says something amazing. He says, I'm going to be even more determined to get done the job that I am, what, working right now. We need more people that are willing to say, I'm going to put in extra and additional effort to be successful. I'm willing to put in even more work, regardless of what's intimidating me, regardless of what's scaring me, regardless of what's talking to me, regardless of what's yelling at me. I'm going to be more focused than ever before to get done the job that I need to do. I tell you guys, I do marriage counseling all the time, and I love doing marriage counseling. But some of the things that stops marriages from being successful are two people that are not willing to change, two people that are intimidated about moving forward, two people that don't want to give in. Everybody's intimidated by these me issues and their issues, and nobody wants to put in the work to move forward. In order to be successful, you're going to have to dig your heels in and be determined to move What? Forward. Nehemiah says he worked with even greater determination. He's, you know, what kind of person Nehemiah is. To some extent, he's stubborn, and sometimes you need a stubborn mentality when it comes to serving God. I call it that goal line defense. Um, it's when you're when you're getting ready to do something great, when you're getting ready to score, when you're getting ready to cross over the line into the end zone. Defense gets tighter. There's more people in front of you to stop you from going forward, and you have to dig in and say, I'm going to be more determined to get the ball over the line than you are going to stop me. It's I don't care, I'm going to stick out my chin, I'm going to be tougher than you ever could imagine kind of determination. It's when those arguments are right there and you have an opportunity to let that argument derail the rest of your evening. Is it just i have never, no one else has been there? Whatever. (laughs) So when you're in that moment of I got an argument and, oh, you said something dumb and I'm about to really hop on you because you was extra dumb in that statement and I'm about to show you how dumb you are. Am I willing to let that conversation derail the rest of my evening or can I push past it to get us back on track? And even if you don't want to get back on track when I'm pushing through, can I keep going forward because I want to look like God? I want to honor God in my conversation, my, my actions. I want to honor God. So even if you don't get back on track with me at this moment, my character still looks like I'm pushing forward to honor God.. I got one kid. I got one kid. No, I ain't going to tell you which one it is. I got one kid that has to win. (laughs) I'm not calling any names, but I got that one kid that has to win. They would rather lose their phone for a month, but win that argument. Stop talking back. But let me just tell you how, can I tell you how I feel? Listen, I promise if you tell me how you feel, it's not going to end well for you. Well, I got to tell you anyway. Dolls, stop talking. Please go to your room. But first, let me say something. Would rather win the argument than win the freedoms of their phone for a month. (laughs) Talk to the adults down here. Would rather, I won't be on that side of the room, would rather win the moment I appreciate your stubbornness to want to win, but is it worth your character? Is it worth your freedom for the win? Well, I love it on the football field, anything to win. This is life, not a game. And some of us are so focused on the win that we miss the big win. Some of us are so focused, we're so busy trying to do this thing, we miss out on what God really has for us. Don't let your pride intimidate you from moving forward. Whew, I just preached the whole message right there. I can go sit there. I got three more points. I can stop right there. <laughs> Don't let your pride intimidate you into being successful. Don't let your arrogance intimidate you on humbling yourself in the moment you need to be humbled in order to move forward. I am learning through this series (laughs) that sometimes the best answer is okay. I don't agree. I don't believe in it. But okay. We got a mission. We got to move forward. Okay. You You have anything you want to say back? Not at the moment. Okay, because the mission is more important than the moment. Oh, it's too deep. It's, it's raining outside. My bad. Let's keep moving. Number two, identify when God is speaking. Point number two. Here's Nehemiah 6, 10 through 13. We're not going to read all that. We're just going to read um, a little bit of it. So here, here it is, 10 through uh, 13.
1: Later I went to visit Shemaiah, son of Deliah, and grandson of Mehetabel, who was confined to his home. He said, let us meet together inside the temple of God and bolt the doors shut. Your enemies are coming to kill you tonight. I realized that God had not spoken to him, but that he had uttered this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Zimbalad had hired him. They were hoping to intimidate me and make me sin. Then they would be able to accuse and discredit me.
0: So I love this part of the the story because here's what happens. Nehemiah says, I'm going to be extremely determined and focused to move forward. You guys got that? So as much as you guys want to write letters and talk about me and do all that stuff to distract me, I'm not going to be intimidated by that. I don't care about your intimidation tactics. I'm going to be 100% focused. So I'm going to be determined to fix this wall even more. He gets done making up his mind, and then he goes and talks to someone that should know from God. Y'all catch that? So he makes a declaration, I'm going to be very strong and be very focused, and then he says, I want to go talk to somebody that knows God. And he sits down and talks with the person that knows God, and he recognizes that this person is not giving him wise counsel. This is a critical step that a lot of us miss. These scare tactics, the intimidation tactics, us personally, our own emotions, uh, send people around us, try to intimidate us, and then we have to take this, this critical decision of saying, I'm going to move forward regardless. And then he comes back and says, now let me get wise counsel on how to proceed. Did you guys see what happened? There's a situation. He addresses the situation at the moment. Then he comes back to get godly counsel. A lot of us skip over this second step. Ooh, it's quiet today. He's made up his mind in a path and direction he's going to go, but then he says, let me double check to make sure I'm okay. Let me go check with godly counsel to get the proper opinion and diagnosis of how I ought to move forward. Did y'all see that? I I don't know how many more illustrate. I can't. You get it? Y'all get it? Don't pass, go about collecting $200. You get it made a declaration. This is the best plan I think I need to make. Now let me what? Double check. Is this okay? Do you hear from God? I think you do. Let me talk to the godly people to get godly direction to make sure my plan is a good plan. That's wise. That's wisdom working. To understand, I'm willing to get a second opinion. He's not stubborn enough to say, this is what I think I ought to do, and I'm going 100% for it, and we'll figure it out later. He still says, let me check with godly wisdom. Husbands, he still says, let me check with my wife. Oh, ain't nobody, ain't, not a, not an amen nowhere. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. You <laughs> hey, that's, that's all you're going to get, girl. That's all you're going to get today. <laughs> Why I know that they came up with great plans over the phone, and it's wonderful. You want to move forward? Did you check with you? You, 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 run, you want to talk? Let's talk about it. Just hold a conversation. <sighs> you talking over? It's real quiet. You got extra quiet. Are you willing to get a second opinion on moving forward? And so he gets a second opinion. And he recognizes the second opinion does not sound like God. That is okay. At least he took the opportunity to humble himself for a second opinion. Because some people's opinions, though they may be as godly as they are, doesn't sound like God sometimes. God would not tell you to cower. God is bold and courageous. There's a way he tells you about retreating. There's a certain kind of way. Everything this dude told him was nothing that sounded like God. This is what I love about this passage of Scripture, because after he goes and tries to find out where is God speaking, what is God saying, he realizes this counsel isn't good, he realizes there's something shady going on, and he realizes that this whole situation would be there to cause him to make him sin. If he was to hide from all of these four kings that are after him that's talking all this trash, if he was to hide, he would end up stop doing the what? The work. The work. And the issue is that he has been called by God to do work. And if he's not working, in God's eyes, that would be a sin. Jake, I'm here, bro. I'm here. You with me? You're with me. He says, if you're not working, you're not winning, you're sinning. I did a rhyme right there. It's a whole rap. If you're not working, you're not winning, equaling that you are sinning. He says, in order to be pleasing and acceptable in God's eyes, you've got to be doing some what? Work. And he says, if you're going to be successful in life as a Christian, as a believer, you've got to put in work. You can't do marriage for three years and say, ah, that's good enough. I serve my nickel. (laughs) It doesn't work that way. I did my time. You gotta put in work. Your kids, I got them to high school, I'm done, or I got them college. No, you still gotta put in work. I gotta see you on this test, I'm good. No, work. Did you see your progress report? I got seven A's and one B. I do no more work for no work. There's no rest breaks there's time off. There's the weekend. Then we're back to work. He says, if you're not working, you're sinning. He says in this passage of Scripture, he says, listen, he goes and gets wise counsel. He goes to get this godly counsel. This godly counsel is, is crooked because it's telling him you, should, you shouldn't do anything. You shouldn't do it. Just hide. And how we deal with intimidation? We work harder. We push through it. We move on. You and I need to take moments to identify godly counsel, and we need to make sure it's the right counsel, and we need to see if this is God's voice speaking to us, if this is God leading us down that path, and get a second and a third and a fourth opinion if it doesn't feel right. It doesn't mean get the opinion that agrees with your opinion. Did y'all catch that one too? I'm just going to keep, you know, my kids do that all the time. Hey, can I go to the school function? No, because we got to wake up early in the morning. Okay. Hey, Mom, can I go to the school function? Ask your father. Hey, Dad, I was thinking because so-and-so and and so-and-so is going to the school function. If they brought me back, the issue is not you getting there. I can take you there. I can send you an Uber. You keep asking me, I might kick you there myself. Listen, the issue is that tomorrow morning we have to go somewhere. Well, Mommy said that I could go. Mommy said, ask your father. Did you all see that? Well, okay, mommy don't have to take me and, and dad, you don't have to take me because grandma said that she'll pick me up and bring me back. No, where did grandma come from? <laughs> well, grandma said she could do it. She said she, want, fact, she wants to be spending the night over her house and she bring me back in the morning. No! But some of us will find some way to get a yes for what we want to do. And sometimes God is like, no. There's nothing wrong with getting godly counsel. Don't get mad if it doesn't agree to your plan. Don't get mad if it agrees to the thought or plan that you had. But we got to find out if it's God's voice. But don't keep working your avenue till you get your yes. I had four banks that told me, no, I can't get a loan. It's four banks. You might want to hold on. (laughs) But bank 12 at 77% interest. for real? <laughs> Somebody's gonna give you money, right? You're gonna get it from somewhere. No, maybe that's not God. 77% interest. Sit down. <laughs> Go pay some bills, man. Get your, get, your, get your credit rate right. Like that's where we are right now. And so he takes the time to find out this godly wisdom, this godly counsel. He looks, he looks, he looks. And once he finds out that this God's voice or not, then he responds. Point number three, impressive power. Nehemiah 15 says this.
1: So on October 2nd, the wall was finished, just 52 days after we had begun.
0: A guy comes from another place. He comes back to Jerusalem to a wall that's devastated, and he says, listen, we got to get to work. God has given me great vision. He's given me a plan. Are you guys with it? They say we bought in, and he says, listen, let's get to work. They build a wall taller than them that surrounds their whole community with stones, some mud, something that's like cement. They build a destroyed wall in 52 days. Not a wall here, but a surrounding area, surrounding perimeter in 52 days. When you're not intimidated, when you're quick to identify where God is in this process, then you will find yourself experiencing God's impressive power. You will experience these life changes that take place that you don't know how it happened so fast or when it happened. You can't, I don't, it just happened so quickly, bam, this is God's moment. When you start moving forward in this process, you will see God move in ways you never expected. And it will happen so fast and so quickly, you have no other choice but to say that was God. It's such an impressive feat that all you can do at the end of the day is say it didn't even take us two months. Our marriage was headed for this, but we both put in the work. We were talking about divorce, and, 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 and five months later, it's the best thing ever. Six years of horrible marriage, ten years of being married altogether, the last six years have been absolute hell. And we put in five months of work, and it's the best thing I could ever imagine. How does God take five months versus the 10 and make it the best thing ever? Because two people put the work in, and impressive things happened. How do I sit there and say, man, these relationships with me and my kids are horrible. What do we do? And in in a couple of weeks of a couple daddy and daughter dates, a couple spending time, all of a sudden, we are experiencing some of the best things we ever could have or never imagined. Because God's impressive power operates when we are at work. Because God does not glorify sin, he lives in holiness. And when we are walking in a life of holiness, walking in a life striving to be successful for him, impressive things have to happen. Because we serve a God that works in miraculous and miracle kind of ways. You want to see the blessings of God? You want to experience that forward? I'm seeing all these amazing things happen. Then I promise you, when you start getting your life on track, when you start moving forward, when you ignore the distractions, when you're more concerned about the big win than the win, you'll get the big win and more perks than you could ever imagine. We laugh because we talked about Nehemiah a few weeks ago. Nehemiah, to start this service off, he's he's a wine taster. You got that? His job is to taste the wine and hope he doesn't die. And if it's good, then he gives it to the king, and the king takes a couple shots and he's good. I'm sorry, takes a couple drinks, and the king is good. It's real good, (laughs) probably after all that wine. He's real good. Nehemiah does not have a degree in construction. He's not certified. He's not a mason. He can go to trade school. Nothing. And so God takes a guy that's a cupbearer that that tastes the wine, and he has them plotting and planning and structuring and organizing groups of people to build a wall. There's nothing Nehemiah can do in his own power. But God does impressive things with his amazing power and shows off with his oppressive power when you and I are obedient and willing to make things happen. I'm talking about marriage a lot today for some reason. I don't know why. Y'all come see me afterwards if you need to talk. I don't know what it is. My goal for marriage counseling is never to counsel you for nine, ten months. I don't want your money that bad. My goal is to get us a plan in place. You live out the plan. Sometimes we need to meet every other week and hopefully it moves to every other month. You guys see where I'm going? If we're working, we should be our time of meeting should grow less because you guys are doing better together. I don't want to meet with you for the next nine months. Love your money, but I don't want to meet with you that long. I want you to be successful. When God's impressive power is working, he can take marriage and infidelity and all those things, and he can minimize them, and he can move things and transform things. That it's amazing when family members who told you y'all should have got a divorce seven months ago are now sitting there like, what in the world? What in the world? There's all of that. When people are telling you to leave your job because it's so frustrating, what are you going to do? All those situations when God's power is working, his impressive power is working, lives change in tremendous ways. Here's the last point, because I know you guys are revengeful people. Intimidate
1: your, your enemies. Nehemiah 6.16. When our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated. They realized this work had been done with the help of our God.
0: I don't have to tell my wife where she can go nowadays. You guys will get that in a second. I don't tell her where she can go. I don't have to punch up and beat up on people. Boy, I like to some days. Knock them right on out. I don't have to grab children by the collar and say, do you know I'm your father? I am your father. I don't have to do all that anymore. Because I'm trying to live within God's parameters so much that God will take care of you. And I hope when he takes care of you, he brings you back to a place where you recognize him. If I can't pray for you right now because I'm really mad at you, (laughs) really mad at you, I'm going to try to live like Christ in such a way. I hope that you just recognize that God is living in me in such a way that you say, wow. Maybe something's wrong with me. I don't have enough words to make you change your heart. I don't. God does. And so how I'm going to get back at my enemies is I'm going to live a life that looks like God. And I'm hoping I can pray for a couple of them. And I don't have time to be bothered with you. And I'm going to let God start to work on the situations of your heart. That's how you get back at your enemies. Let God's power show how great he is and how amazing he is and how much he works in such a way where you have no choice but to humble yourself because those people have to say, God is great. What is it? I had this co-worker on the job one day. Have y'all had that co-worker? I have a career. I've been working this career for 13 years. And one day... That coworker lied on me for the fourth time. I kept count. it's the fourth time. Got my supervisor involved. And I remember at some point I got away from my desk and my career was no longer a career. In my mind, it was Popeyes. It was like a job. You know the difference between a job and a career, right? You know, a career, that's for life. A job is, you know, pay for my cell phone bill. My career in that moment was like a job because I wanted to take that dude and throw him out the window. And I knew you couldn't throw him out the window because there's no windows open up. It was like that triple pane window. But my goal was to just push. And whether he went through or just turned the jelly on the wall, one way he was going through that window. And there we were face to face. And you know when you get mad, all this stuff, all this gets big, like the... I was there. I'm not not preacher, not pastor, not reverend. I'm, I'm, I'm that guy from that street. I'm that guy. And the supervisor came, her little self. Gentlemen, let's break it up. I'm not a gentleman right now. I'm that guy. And all of this is here, and all of this, and that vein from here to here is running through. And they took him. Notice they took him. I didn't move. They took him and took him out of the office. And I had people come up to me and say, I've never seen you so angry and so upset before. Never. You're supposed to be a man of cloth. I said, this cloth comes off today, baby. And in that moment, I had stepped outside of who I was. And what I represented, I got distracted, I got deterred, I got frustrated, I got annoyed, I took history, and I wanted the win. I know where you get it from. You wanted the win. (laughs) More important than the big win. I didn't care about bills and kids and and, and a house note. I wanted my win. That win that says, if I'm going to jail, I'm going to earn all this jail time today. That win. You know the win I'm talking about. I wanted it right now. And they separated the guy. And about three weeks later, he and I had a very man-to-man conversation, what I didn't appreciate, what I didn't like. And he explained to me some issues that were going on in his household. And I talked about him dating your daughter which is why you guys are having such a separation. You're not taking her out enough. Y'all are in two separate households. Life is tough. You spend time with your daughter. You know, a year later, that dude became my supervisor. A year later. I get more grace from him than anybody else in the office. I get more love. I get more respect. I get, hey, you need to do something? Go ahead and do it. Just get back to me. As long as it's done, I don't care. Than anybody else in the office. Now, how do we go from, I'm going to knock all your teeth out your head, (laughs) each and every one of them, So I get grace beyond grace by a dude that's my supervisor. Because I said, you know what, let me get myself back on track, let me start focusing, let me start driving this thing, let me start moving forward, and let me start being faithful, and let me just start being respectful, and let me just start doing my job. And all of a sudden, in a year's time, that man is intimidated by the God that I serve and the wisdom that I share. And in that moment, life changed. And in that moment, there's a level of respect that was never there before. And in that moment, has changed into a whole different step and a whole different pace. That man has to respect the God I serve because I humbled myself to stay and get back on track. I love that story because somebody that was on track got off track but got back on track. Did you all catch that? that? was a whole nother rhyme for him too. Because I ended with that. It was back, track, that, back, that. I'm a rapper. You understand? I'm a rapper. Spit bars. (laughs) And that's the whole beauty of it is sometimes we get off track. But God and, and His power allows us to get back on track, and we can still do impressive and amazing things, even though we may have, 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 have fell to that intimidation, we still can get back on track and still do amazing and impressive things, because the God of the universe honors when we put in work. And even though we may quit sometimes, even though we may forget who we represent sometimes, When we're willing to get back on track, he still does amazing and impressive things with our lives. This is something I tell my kids. If you guys don't hear anything else I'm saying today, the rain's too loud for you, this is the one takeaway I want you to take away with you today. I tell my kids, I tell my players, I tell my football players, focus on focus is one of the phrases that we use in our house. Focus on focus. What does that mean? It means that I am focused on focusing in. I don't have time for distractions. I don't have time for, oh, this kid runs a lap slower than I do, so why should I run as hard as he runs? You focus on focus. Focus on you. Stay on track. Stay the course. Don't worry about what other people are doing. Don't worry about what other people are saying. Don't, I know you got emotions. I know you got feelings. I know you have bad days, bad weeks, bad months, bad years. Focus on focus. Push through. Keep going. Dig, 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 dig. dig. Go, go, go. Run, run, run. Focus on focus. I'm doing my homework. I got my headphones on. I got my TV going on. I'm drawing on the wall. No, focus on focus. I got done so quick. Focus on focus. When I am locked in, I do amazing things. Let this be part of that mantra, be part of that saying, be part of that phrase. I am going to focus on focus. I'm not going to worry about distractions, what people say, what's going on. I got a thing to do, and I got to get it done. And I'll check with the Lord above to make sure I'm still on the right course. As the band comes up to play and we get ready to enter into communion, I want to pray for us real quick. Um, That God, by your sovereign grace and your amazing power, you love us. You watch over us and you cover us. Give us wisdom through the distractions. Give us the intuitiveness through the tough moments, to focus, to dig deep, to push beyond what the naysayers say, beyond what the internal monologue is within myself, to finish the task and the thing you said in front of us. Father, for all of us that have gotten off track, that have done a Corey Allen in our lives that have left the safety and the covering and the protection and the plans that you had for us, draw us back to you. Let this be the moment where we focus on the first step to the second step, to the third step, to the 28th step, to be fully in your presence again. Father, humble us, clothe us in your righteousness and in your truth. In Jesus' name.